0: Cambridge Muslim College, training the next generation of Muslim thinkers. Bismillahir Rahmanir rahim Alhamdulillahi Rabbil alamin. As-salatu as-salamu ala akrami al-anbiya'i wal-mursaleen. Sayyidina wa maulana wa habibina wa shafi'ina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in. An honor, of course, to be named after one of Allah's sanctuaries very much in the headlines and in our thoughts and in our uh, hearts in these times. So happy that on my last visit, the Ramadan before last, as far as I could see, the biggest international contingent visiting uh, Haram and Masjid Al-Aqsa was the uh, South Africans i increase them in himma and in service for the Deen and for the, their solidarity with the uh, encircled and besieged population of the holy city. I mean, a sanctuary is a mystery because a sanctuary is the place of the sakina, which is the calm and calming indwelling presence of the divine. Immediately, this imposes upon us a puzzle and a paradox. Is not Allah with us wherever we are? Is He not wherever we turn? Wherever you turn, there is Allah's face. So, what does it mean for there to be places where His presence is particularly eminent and felt? And what is a holy place, a sanctuary? What is Quds, Qadasa, Maqdis? It's to do with the uh, fundamental paradox of the divine nearness. You know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives Himself names in His book that often come in pairs that seem to be opposite to each other. Al Muhi wa al Mumit, He gives life, He gives death. Al Khafid wa al He brings down, and he brings up. Al-qabit wal-basat, he compresses and he expands. Creation is set up generally through a dynamic interplay of opposing principles. But where he says, Al-qareeb, Wa-idha sa'alaka ibadi fa-inni qareeb, When my servants ask of me, say, I am near. He never gives himself an opposite name. Nowhere does he say that he is ba'id, distant. Rather it is we who are distant. He is always qarib and can't be anything other than qarib. Or akrabu ilayhi min hablil warid. Closer to man than his jugular vein. And let us recall this as we are in this place that is named after that great sanctuary. The divine presence is present. Or أَيْنَ مَا He is Hadar. He is the one who alone is. We are little shadows that come flitting across the stage of our little history. A few years, a few decades, and then we're gone. But the light remains. He is نور wal والأرض. Light of the heavens and the earth. And this world, this dunya, is just shadows, in themselves, nothing at all, totally dependent upon the light. And we are in need of his bringing us out of that shadowy unreality into the light that is truth in which we can see. Allah is the wali, the protecting friend, of those who have Iman, he takes them out of the shadows into the light. We are but shadows. Our lives are flitting, fleeting, unreal things. We are half asleep or completely asleep, waiting for a truer experience. This world is as mysterious as a dream. But al-Haq, tabarak wa ta'ala, the true He is the truth of every situation. He is the one who is truly the establisher of every situation. Qayyum, self-sustaining, but also the one who sustains every other thing. Our little beings are reliant absolutely on his being. If the light were not there, how long would the shadows last? So al-Qarib. And the believer remembers this in his du'a, in his dhikr and also in his perception of everything in the created world everything in this world can be seen as just more flitting shadows mysteriously interacting with each other or it can be seen as things that the light is doing the one who is will art, light of the heavens and the earth the kafir the one who is spiritually blind sees only the shadows and the mu'min, the one whose eye is open sees what the light is doing with and through the shadows. The kafir is agitated because of the strangeness of this great theatre, its immensity, its depth, its complexness, its mystifying order. And the believer is at peace. The more the believer sees, the more the believer feels calm and at peace. Why? Because there is nothing that is not a sign or a signpost. However deep the lens of the Hubble Space Telescope might penetrate, however clever the large Hadron Collider might be to explore smaller and smaller, newer and newer Stranger and stranger particles, infinitely smaller, even than the smallest atom. You will never see anything that is not just one of his signs. And all of this holds together in the most beautiful form. You do not see in the creation of the compassionate any fault. It's all upholding this brilliant order. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is part of the message of the Quran so when the believer sees the believer knows that he is Al-Qareeb even though we cannot see him and when even Sayyidina Musa alayhi salam, asked for that the Lord manifested his might to the mountain دكا, and made it collapse in dust Musa and even Sayyidina Musa alayhi salam, that strong Nabi fell down in a swoon this Tajalli this Mazhar uh, we can't see that, but the majesty of this world, all of our practices, all of the arcane of our religion, all of these five things on which Islam is built, bunya ala khams, have only one function, which is to take us away from false gods and confusions and misunderstandings and ignorance towards a, a way of seeing how things truly are. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is calling us to what gives us life, لِمَا يُحِيَكُمْ and is calling us to be people who see, not people who are blind. To see with the eyes, yes, but to see with the heart, to perceive things truly. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in his generosity, and note that when speaking of this illaniable ordering of the cosmos, the constancy and vibrancy and symmetry of its physical laws and principles refers to himself as Ar-Rahman. And in the great ayas, that great thundering sequence, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is asking us, ala which of it of the favours of your Lord is it that you deny? Surat Ar-Rahman begins with Rahman. This is the first of the names that are unfolded to us in Revelation. And the first hadith that we learn is the hadith of Ar-Rahimun. Yarhamuhum Ar-Rahman, those who show mercy, the all-merciful shall show mercy to them. This is the experience of the one who sees Al-Qarib, the near in all things. The world is nothing other than the outpouring of the limitless wine glass of the divine beauty and the divine compassion. It's nothing other than that. There is no other wine glass. There is no other source of being. There is no other source of signs. All comes from him. So here's Ar-Rahman. And in certain places, he has made that easier to discern than in other places. So, perhaps this is a way into our question about quds, about sanctuaries, and about why the subject of my lecture there is this black stone, Al Hajar al Aswad, in the greatest sanctuary, the Ishmaelite sanctuary. That this world is, as it were, woven from the 99 names ar rahman al-Rahim, al-Malik, al-Quddus, al-Salam, al-Mu'min, al-Muhaymin, those majestic, superb qualities, each of which reaches our hearts as well as our ears, and the heart within says, Bala we bear witness. This perfect description of the ultimately indescribable, Laysa shape. but true names, because they are names that he has given himself. And so true are these names that simply by enumerating them, And by mentioning them, we gain the flavor and the fragrance of paradise. And I'll give us all a love of his names and a love of the road which these names comprise. And these names, as I've said, are like the warp and woof of creation. They are like the fabric from which the great tapestry of manifestation is woven and we know that without one of them we wouldn't see the perfection of the whole the world would not be its magnificent self without Al-Adl or Al-Hakam or Al-Khabir or Al-Latif they are all part of the whole just as all of the colours are part of the spectrum which reduces ultimately to the one light And we know that these names appear to us in different degrees in this world. This again is part of farq the fact that the world is not the same as the divine. The world is in a state of multiplicity. It's kathra, it's not wahda, it's aghyar, it's not Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's dunya, it's the lowest thing, seems to be the furthest thing from his presence. And here we are creeping about on it like little maggots for a few years, trying to understand. Sometimes he doesn't feel arib, but if we understand the texture and the pattern and the perfection of this tapestry, which is the work of his fingers, then we can start to see. But, just like a great carpet is not the same color throughout, it has different patterns different symmetries, all part of its perfection. So too, the divine names in this world, while always entirely present, are not capable of being blocked by anything because they are his names, and nothing can overwhelm them. Still sometimes, in some situations, they are more apparent to our limited capacities than are others. In a certain situation, when we feel overwhelmed, it might seem that the name al-Jabbar, al-Muntaqim, Al-Aziz, Al-Azim are nearest to the surface of things. Other situations might remind us of Al-Latif, Al-Halim, Al-Jamil. And this whole world is, as it were, this tapestry with this pattern of different names coming and going, like colours flashing in a kaleidoscope. The pattern is perfect, but the colours and the patterns differ. So we might say, when we speculate on the mystery of how a place can be sacred, how al-Quds can be sacred, in the hadith that defines it as the Holy Land, I think it's in Abu Dawood between the Nile and the Euphrates, the big Palestine, and the city itself. When we consider what that might mean when he is al-Qarib everywhere, what does it mean to step from a world that is not haram into a space that is sanctuary? We might say that it is in the sanctuary where the names are evidently to our senses most perfectly balanced. And then some will say, but when I go to the haram in Medina, the spirituality is different from that spirituality of the haram in Mecca or in Al-Quds. And this is true. Mecca is where you feel the majesty of Tajrid, the divine otherness, the alastubi rabbikum, the first shahada, Medina the city of the second shahada where the Holy Prophet is still amongst us in ways that the ulama have affirmed and experienced but which always transcends our mean intellects but which is a reality. The city of sharia, the city where the rules unfolded where Islam became a social reality. The city of Muhammadur Rasulullah. And then this third sanctuary so much in the headlines, so much on our minds, in our concerns, in our hearts. This is where our story is defined as the conclusion of the prophetic stories of the Bani Israel, of the Ehud, and also of the Nasara. It is the place where the prophets were and the place where Islam demonstrates its ethical perfection in including rather than excluding. The Bani Israel do not accept Isa السلام, or Sayyidina Muhammad The Nasara do not accept Sayyidina Muhammad So both of them are in a sense naqis when they are in that holy place because they don't accept all of its great figures the figures whose greatness defines even the geography of the old city but we when we are there we are not saying no to their holy figures we're not saying no to what is best and most true in their stories and their heritage instead we remember the isra of the holy prophet وسلم, when he led all of the other anbiya in prayer this beautiful inclusiveness of islam we alone can do that no other religion goes out of its way in one of its most sacred and critical moments to say yes we include we include and those great sequences in the holy quran where we're told about all of those earlier anbiya part of the beauty of Islam. It includes, and it doesn't exclude. So when we enter the haram of our so many of our South African brothers have been given the tawfiq to do in recent years. We are uh, reminded of its connection and its consummation of uh, the ancient forms of worship and the particular forms of barakah that were associated with those old Sharia And it's complex. But it is certainly a haram, defined as such by the Holy Prophet ﷺ in the famous hadith that you can only guide your beast to three mosques specifically. There may be other places in your deen and your dunya where you can go to for particular spiritual benefits or particular forms of learning or to help somebody, or to visit the sick and the orphans. That is also a legitimate reason for travel and moving, but for Masajid, those three in particular are singled out. So in those places we find, even though each of the three has a specific flavor and fragrance which the believer perceives, <coughs> and a very distinct history, that in those places, <coughs> the divine names, Asma'ullah and Hosna, are, as it were, to our perceptions most perfectly present and balanced. That we experience all of those names, and that is why we experience those places as particularly holy. Be that as it may, our conversation this evening is to be about one of the many mysteries. Ayat, beginat, clear signs, which are all also mysteries, deep things, to do with the original haram, the first house established for mankind, <coughs> which is that in a valley without cultivation in that extraordinary place far to the south of Palestine to which Sayyidina Ibrahim, alayhi <coughs> salam, directed through some unimaginable divine inspiration, with such incalculable outcomes, uh, Hajar and his son, Ismail, alayhim as Let's just pause before we consider the story of the stone itself to think about that story. We are the Bani Ismail, the descendants, spiritual descendants at any rate, of that elder son, Ishaq. Is the one who laughed. And the Hebrew scholars discuss why exactly Ishaq is said to be the one who laughed, or maybe it was his mother who laughed. And Ismail is he heard God or God heard him. It's what we say when we pray. We incorporate that in our worship. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, by directing the steps, still in his infancy, of the patriarch's elder son evident heir to covenant towards that distant sanctuary is making a vast statement about sacred history of which we should be aware. What's the relationship between the holy city of Jerusalem and the holy city of Makkah? Well, we are often asked this and we should really be able to explain. Well, the sanctity of Makkah predates the sanctity of Jerusalem. The sanctity of Mecca predates, you might even say, the formal coagulation of the universe as matter insofar as what it represents is what the Kaaba seems to represent and what the heart, the beating heart of every reverent Khashia Muslim feels as he or she walks around it with his heart nearest to the Kaaba represents the infinity of God, the mystery. The dark, shrouded form of Allah's ancient house, Beitullah al-Qadim, in many ways the strangest building on earth. Hardly a building, hardly architecture. It has no form, has no features, no decorative anything. Just the outward black, matte uh, fabric, which may be decorated by various dynasties, but that's not the point of it. It's to do with the divine tenzi. To divine otherness the first shahada la ilaha illallah falaysa kamithlihi Shaykh, that as you are close to his house with your heart almost touching it you remember that he is qarib but you also remember the presence of the veil however close you get the veil remains veils such a symbolic value the veil is there and people who don't understand our traditions of honoring womanhood and the hijab misunderstand this. The veil is there to honor something that is sacred and precious. Uh, a mazhar, a tajalli. Some of our ulama and awliya in our history, even the men would sometimes veil their faces because of the strength of the spiritual light that would shine from them. They say this even of Sayyidina Musa salam in a number of accounts that people can be sent into strange spiritual states just by seeing the, 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 the tajalli of Allah's lights upon the face, face of a perfected one. And so it is with the Kaaba that this mystery is a veiled mystery and it is out of adab that we don't see it. Even when they replace the kiswa, they do it strip by strip by strip. They don't take all of it off at any time. And again, the believing heart beating as it goes around on its tawaf knows this and recognizes this. What more perfect symbol of he who is subhanahu wa ta'ala beyond any symbol could there be? Perfection, uh, transcending all culture. The Kaaba, ancient Atiq, before architecture itself seems to bespeak a time before there was human culture and an Adamic culture. The stories of the earliest prophets, even Adam, according to Al-Azraqi, the earliest historian of Mecca, worshipped there when it was just Rabwatun Hamra, just a little red mound or hillock. This is the place which is near the place where Adam received the words, فَتَلَقَىٰ أَدَمُ مِن رَبِّهِ كَلِمَاتٍ fataba عَلَيْهِ Adam received words from his Lord and relented towards him which, according to most of our scholars, takes place uh, at the plane of Arafat, which is why Arafat is, is the Hajj, because it's a, it's a recreation of, and we hope, a guarantee of that original, generous Tawbah in our hearts. If you're not going to make Tawbah, your once-in-a-lifetime Hajj in Arafat, when the tears are falling, and a million people are weeping and you don't make your tawbah then and you say, yes Lord, I finally admit it, help me to be strong not to avoid that thing again, then where else are you going to find a place, a mountain for your tawbah? It is a great gift for the believers, a great liberation. So many thousands of burdens are lifted on Arafat each year. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says to the angels, Unzuru ila iberdi on the day of Arafat they have come to me dusty with their hair messy suffering from thirst I call you to witness that I have forgiven them so may Allah encompass us in that forgiveness and in the prayers of those who are at Arafat each year because that is a real prayer that is a real place of sincerity so many signs but the black stone where we begin the tawaf, the tawaf that again is something ancient that speaks to our hearts that we certainly can't rationalize, but we follow it because the holy prophet والسلام, showed us the way. And we know that it has something to do with the adoration of the angels at an infinite distance above the Beit of Ma'amur, the angels, the Karubiyun, as they circle, the infinite, <laughs> fulgurating lights of the divine throne Unimaginable, but still our hearts respond to the idea. And so in our dunya, with our dusty feet, we retrace that at this very, very low point of the created hierarchy. We are there and we benefit, even though he is qarib, but we're busy with our mobile phones or looking after our children or the things that we manage to do, even in that extraordinary place. And the point where we begin according to our madhahib, is at the point where the the hajar is located. And there are so many stories of the hajar, and how it was removed and lost in a flood, they found it again, they replaced it, the qaramata took it away, but always replaced, always the same hajar, and always the same mystery. Really a mystery, what what is that? The Kaaba can be understood, even though it's beyond understanding as a symbol which melts the heart of the infinity and the beginninglessness of the creator tabarakah wa ta'ala and it gives us a sense of eternity as we walk around it and one of the benefits of the walking around of the tawaf is that we after a while become as it were disoriented and forget the point of the compass and the outside dunya, our spatial recognition is at an end and we're not quite sure where everything is, where we left our shoes, where the chicken shop is outside we're kind of disoriented that's part of the wisdom of it so that just focus on Qibla his ancient house of course and the black stone the mystery well there's an account which is a kind of key to understanding this and remember all of these things like Arafat the Maqam Ibrahim and the Safa and the Marwa and all of these things that are unique in the Hajj are oh, kind of mysteries and the mind struggles to understand, even though the heart kind of eats them up with delight from spiritual appetite, recognising the value of these practices, but the mind struggles. Can kathira? This is in the histories, the Holy Prophet wasallam, used to kiss the black stone abundantly. فَقَبَّلَهُ عُمَرٍ And then in his reign as Khalifa, Umar kissed it. ثُمَّ قَالْ إِنِّي أَعْلَمُ أَنَّكَ حَجَرٌ لَا تَضُرُ وَلَا تَنفَعُ وَلَوْلَا أَنِّي رَأَيْتُ رَسُولَ اللَّهُ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ يُقَبِّلُكَ قَبَّلْتُكَ ثُمَّ عَلَى And then Umar says, I know you're just a stone and you can't help me, and you can't harm me. And were it not for the fact that I saw the Holy Prophet sallam kissing you, I wouldn't kiss you. And then he wept until he, he, his sobs could be heard. So this is al-Hikmat al-Omariya, radiallahu an, the second, justly the second of the Rashi Rashidun, with his humility, absolute following of the sunnah and an admission that he doesn't know what this is he doesn't understand that's a high maqam a maqam of submission to the unseen to the ghayb and then he turned behind him and there was Ali ibn Abi Talib may Allah enable his face فَقَالْ يَا أَمِيرَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ بَلْ يَضُرْ وَيَنْفَعْ And he said, oh commander of the faithful, he's khalifa now, Umar is khalifa, it does help us and it does harm us. قَالْ كيف? He said, how? قَالْ إِنَّ اللَّهَ تَعَالَى لَمَّا أَخَذَ الْمِثَاقَ عَلَى الظُّرِّيَّةِ أَلْقَمَهُ هَذَا الْحَجَرِ he says, Allah, when he took the mithaq, the covenant, from the descendants of mankind, he fed this covenant to this stone. And so it bears witness to the faithfulness of the believer and bears witness to the infidelity of the unbeliever. So here's another way of being right. This is a spiritual one. This is not an insight of fiqh, this is his own inner kashf, his own revelation of what this means. And again, human language can't be taken quite literally. What does it mean to feed something to a stone? This is symbolic language, something deep, something to do with a spiritual reality beyond the normal four dimensions. What's the covenant? What's the mithaq? When God took the mithaq from mankind, he fed it to this stone. It's a strange conception. Well, the mithaq is the day of bi rabbikum and everybody says Bala Shahidna. When your Lord took from the descendants of Adam from their descendants, for Allah and Fusihim and caused them to bear witness about or against themselves. Alas to be am I not your Lord? And they said, Bala Shahidna. And that was, lest you should say, and taqulu, inna kunna rafilin, on the day of arising, we were ignorant of this. We didn't know anything about it. So in this again mysterious verse, and of course it's mysterious because it's somehow before the creation of the usual things that make sense to us. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brought us into his presence. What does that mean? Before we were babies, before anything, we can't imagine that, but we're told it. And something within us kind of understands and made us bear witness about or against ourselves. Am I not your Lord? And at that point, how could we say anything else? Ah, no shadows, as it were, at that point. There he was. Everybody said, uh, even Fir'aun and Nimrod and Abu Lahab, they all said yes. We bear witness because you can't do anything else. No spiritual blindness there. So we all have this within ourselves. And this is somehow in this very mysterious way in the Blackstone. That's not an in that's like any other in that you might expect. The coffee is in the coffee pot or the idea is in my head. No, it's a different kind of thing. It's a subtle non-dimensional spiritual attachment that this thing represents, but truly represents. In other words, the Hajar, one of its names, is Allah's right hand on earth. And in traditional systems, the right hand of the king is what you kiss in order to show your loyalty. It's your bay'ah. So by kissing the stone we are, as it were, saying we accept the shahadas, we accept the arkan, we accept the risala, Sayyidina Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasalam, and we remember. We are saying bala shahidna, and the labaik is about like a repetition of that. The hajj is about the journey to the centre, the outward journey that enables us to activate the journey within. Allah giving us so many signs and helping us, helping us, helping us despite our weakness through the rigors of the Hajj to remember and we have that symbol. So the Kaaba, the symbol of Allah's measureless antiquity and majesty and Jalal, the might of the house, with this at its corner a piece not of this world, but as the Hadith says, a piece of Paradise. A ruby of Paradise. This is the beginning of our journey, and the journey that takes us back to our first beginning, which is when we said "Bala Shahidna, which for every member of Bani Adam, every member of Bani Adam, including the insane including the criminals, including the babies that die in the womb, we all said this, bala shahidna, yes, we bear witness. And this is why we would characterize our tradition as being profoundly, to use the modern word, humanistic. In other words, if we were all there together, at the deepest level, the sons and daughters of Hawa, Are parts of some single thing. This is what in the Hanafi tradition they call Ismat al Adamiyya. Every human being has certain inherent rights, irrespective of later religious adherence, that are theirs because they are from uh, Adamic heritage. So, for instance, the right to property. You're entitled to your property whether you're not a Muslim in Sharia the right to honour, the right to marriage, the right to so many things. These are essential things. And this gives us a much stronger and deeper and more meaningful discourse about human rights than is possible in a secular context, which doesn't know about Adam, which doesn't know about intrinsicality, which doesn't know that rights are part of a divine legislation and hence really sacred, but just produces them as the result of a particular consensus, at a particular point in the evolution of its civilization. No, we believe that these hukuq come from Al Haqq, the true, the source of all truth, and therefore the source of all moral truths. So when we are at the stone, we recall the fundamental, essential unity of human beings. And this is why we are called upon in our all embracing religion to incorporate the others. Allah says, Wa li kulli qawmin had." For every people there has been a guide. A Muslim can travel somewhere in northern Australia where you might think no Muslim has ever said the prayer before, but the Muslim knows these people at some point in their past because they are also beloved of Ar-Rahman, because they have also said بَلَا Shahidna," because they also have within themselves this desire to repeat those words there is much that is worthy of respect here, and at some point they had their guide. So this is real humanism. This is an optimism. This is a determination always to see the best in other people and in their traditions, and it's the way of our ulama, always, when they meet people who are not like themselves, not even Muslims, to see what is best in those people, rather than to complain about ways in which they're different from ourselves. And this is the mark of the true believer, because... The true believer knows that in every human heart there still beats, at some level, maybe buried under a lifetime of evil deeds, the, the, the miracle words, Bala Shahidna. Every human being gives that his or her assent. So Allah is giving us the stone as a reminder of this and as some mysterious, enigmatic, esoteric sign. We don't know exactly how these ayat work. But they do work, because the Hajj makes a difference to our lives and we revere the stone. But for the rest of our lives, the question remains. I know that I once said, yes, we bear witness. Bala shahidna. We gave our assent, we made our shahada at the time when we couldn't do anything else. But now I'm feeling a bit distracted by all of these shadows and the world is really confusing and I'm getting a hundred emails a day, and the phone is ringing, and business is busy, and things are, yes, I know Belair Shahidna, but there's this other stuff as well, and this is a problem for us moderns, because we live as believers in a society which is not really interested in bringing to life again the deepest aspects of our spiritual humanity, but is trying to live life often brilliantly uh, and hedonistically on the surface. We're not really at home in the environment, and we feel that this inner desire for nourishment is not being satisfied, that we need feeding. And modernity has the wrong kind of food. It just tells us to buy a new telephone and we'll be happy, or to listen to the latest um, uh, hit uh, single and we'll be happy, or whatever it is, uh, doesn't quite seem to work. There's something within us that craves. Something beyond that, as Malala Rumi says, "Ma bi felik budeyim, yari melek budeyim, heman cheravim khaje ke an mast." We were born to be companions of the angels. We used to live among the spheres of heaven. Let us go there again, my friend, because that's our homeland. And Imam Al-Haddad says, "Wama hadhihi dunya bidar iqamat, wa inhiya illa kat tariq ila al-watan." This dunya is not the place where we're going to remain. It's just a road back to our native land. The believer knows this and the unbeliever feels it and everybody feels discontented and uncomfortable that things don't quite fit. But they don't have the language and they don't have the space and that's why we need to remember our Lord in whatever way works for us if it's within the paradigms of what the Sharia permits. Surah Al-Imran, those who remember Allah standing, sitting on their sides and think about the way in which the heaven and the earth are created, dhikr and fikr, we need to be people of this. And we shouldn't think, oh, that means that next Wednesday I'll, at 6.30 I'll get down with my, on the floor with my friends and my tesbih, and we'll recite something. That is an important thing to do. And it will recenter you and will open up your heart. But dhikr is not just for those situations. Because if he is al-qareeb and is never anything else, then he is truly with us and can be remembered and must be remembered at all times. So if we're going to be true to our bay'ah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, true to the talbiyah, true to the bala shahidna that's within ourselves, we need to have conversations within ourselves, each and every believer, aware of our own lifestyles, our own circumstances, our own possibilities, our own bad habits, and think, how can I increase the number of times every day when I remember al-qareeb, al-haq, al-wasi'ah, the one who is with us at all times remember this ma'ayya how can i do that i shouldn't do it in some formulaic way and say oh well i just did my prayer and i'm going to pray again in an hour's time so i'm all right no those things are precious things and essential things but unless within them there is the remembrance of al-qareeb they're just a way of moving your body and satisfying religious rules and there's something disrespectful to the creator, about a tongue that's saying, la ilaha illallah, dancing around cleverly in the mouth, when the heart is thinking about something else. When you're facing your creator, but not really showing correct adab, and it's just empty. Laysa lil mar'i min salatihi illa ma wa'a. Man has of his prayer only what he's conscious of. Everything else is just a rather strange way of passing your time. Maybe it's good for your back, I don't know, but um, otherwise it's just adat, not ibadat. So we need to be anxious about this and remember that at ilallahi bi adadi the roads to God are as many as the breaths drawn by living creatures. Yes, we have Asirat al-Mustaqim, and we have the five pillars. And we have the minhaj of Islam. And we have the boundaries, the halal and the haram, which are all expressions of the divine mercy and divinely designed to keep us out of the trouble that our egos would get us into if we didn't follow these boundaries. They're only there for our protection. So we need to be saying alhamdulillah or shukrulillah constantly. But there's also individual souls have different needs. Some people need to read a lot of Literature in order to feel at ease with beauty and they can find a spiritual peace that way other people need to be alone in the mountains other people need to be with certain kinds of people and this is naturally the case every human being has his or her own masharab so we should strive for self-knowledge all of those people kissing the black stone maybe two or three million in a few hours each one is a separate human being coming from a separate place, and they may look identical in their ihram, but each one is very different, and each one, as it were, has his own relationship to Allah's house. And We need to have this muhasabah. What am I good at? What am I bad at? What things bring me closer to God? What things seem to be halal but in fact distract my heart? We need to have this inner wisdom. Because life is short, soon runs away, the sand through the hourglass, And it never moves in the opposite direction. We are all heading towards our date of death. Not one of us here is moving away from it, and Allah knows when that will be, and it could be close. And let's use these times so that however many hours or days or seconds we might have left, we use those times richly, and we make sure that we get the best out of the irreplaceable miracle of each moment. That we are Abna'ul Waqt, sons of the moment. Not distracted, daydreaming, idly hoping, but instead aware of the irreplaceable, blazing perfection and genius of the moment that God has made, and remember him in it. And think how we would be if we remembered him constantly. How different we would be. How different our communities would be. All of those disputes, all of those difficulties, all of those problems with relationships, all of those arguments with neighbours, all of those... They would go because people would be so grateful, so thankful, so dazzled by the beauty of what God has made at each moment. Remembering Al-Qarib is the key to the success of this Ummah. Distance from him, absent-mindedness, forgetfulness, heedlessness, bring veils across the heart, and it's those veils that make us find the inherent bitterness of disobedient to God to be something sweet. Very strange perversion that we find ugly things to be beautiful, that we find disobedience to be attractive, that we find things that agitate the heart to be things that bring rest to the heart. This is a sickness. How do we overcome that sickness? By bringing the heart to life, by remembering him. And remembering him in every possible situation. There is no moment, at least when we are awake and adult and sane, when we cannot put that moment to a usage that is truly angelic and amazing. Sitting on the train, driving to work, starting up our computer at the beginning of the day, making a cup of tea for a colleague, all of these apparently ordinary things, if we remember al-Qarib in those moments, and we constantly remind ourselves to be doing that, what rich and beautiful times we will have. To be with him, to wa ta'ala, in the workplace, makes the day just sail by. It makes us beautiful people to be with. Because what makes us disagreeable is the stupidity and darkness of the ego, the one that says, me, not you. And what makes us beautiful people is our ability to see the beauty in other people, to want to know them, to want to help them, to want to hear about their experiences. This is where the Ta'lif al-Qulub comes about, the softening of heart, which is why people love the Holy Prophet, Ali, because he cared about them raufur <laughs> rahim. When his ummah was distressed, when a widow was distressed, when an orphan was hungry, he would feel it personally. So many times in the seerah of the chosen one, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, when he wept. I don't know of any great historical personage, of whom it is recorded so frequently that he used to weep. One of his khasa'is, as it were, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, that he was so soft hearted that he wept, but not for himself, but for human suffering. People who were sick, people who were bereaved, people who were alone, people who were ignorant, people who were in the darkness of misguidance, he felt for them because he wanted to help them. Why? Because he was so rich in his Lord, so connected to his Lord, so dazzled and ecstatic with the nightly conversations he had with his Lord, that he was so strong in himself that he could give and he could pay attention to others and didn't need anything from them. He had this istirna, this autonomy that comes from just loving God. Those are remarkable people. Who wouldn't want to be with somebody who never thinks about himself but wants to look after everybody who is with? This is how the believer ought to be. Unfortunately, nowadays we have this idea that we'll become nicer to others if we have high self-esteem and if we overcome our self-esteem issues and become proud of ourselves and love ourselves. This is problematic. The believer loves God and the self is what it is. If you have a knowledge of yourself, you'll know your weaknesses and you may have lost count of how many they are. Other people... They might seem to have weaknesses, but you're not they. You don't really know what their weaknesses are. Maybe they have a good excuse for all of the strange things they seem to do, but you know your own weaknesses. So on the basis of that, connect to the divine, be strengthened by that infinite voltage, and then you'll see with how much energy you embrace Benny Adam. And this is how the believers ought to be, a source of light, and in this age, where everything is about me, 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 the self, looking good, being cool, having the latest stuff, all of this ego stuff which leaves people hungry, really, spiritually hungry. We should be above that, not contemptuous of them, but perhaps feeling a little bit sorry for them because they've just got stuff. Whereas the believer has al-hayu qayyum who goes on forever. Al-ghani, the one whose wealth never runs out. an arad al-ghina, Wealth is not from a multiplicity of belongings, the Holy Prophet tells us. Wealth is richness in the heart. But people who compete for dunya, they just want more and more. Rivalry and mutual, worldly increase has distracted you. Until you visit the graves. You seem to have forgotten the balasha hidden and what's really important. You're spending your life collecting the shadows. Hmm. rather uh, a futile pursuit and you'll always want more Early Prophet says if a man had a valley full of gold he would want to have two valleys full of gold but at the end of his life only dust will fill his mouth so we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to fill our hearts with light and with remembrance of him, with forgiveness, love of others, that insha'Allah our last words will be La ilaha illallah, Muhammadur Rasulullah, and that insha'Allah we will be people who truly say Bala shahidna, with everything that we do, rather than just as a dim memory in our hearts. Barakallahu fikum, wa al wa wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah wa barakatuh. Cambridge Muslim College training the next generation of Muslim thinkers.